So we're starting a new series tonight, Ties That Bind. And it's funny, really, one thing I think you would find if you were to just talk to people here in Dallas or really anywhere else for that matter is that people people want to get along with people, I guess you could say. People want to live in unity. Um, I think everybody wants that, uh, whether it's at church, at the office, um, wherever, home. It's just unpleasant, stressful when there is discord, when there is conflict around. And yet, while I think this is kind of a universal want that people have, it's a rare thing to find it beyond just, you know, momentary flashes. Think back to 9-11 or maybe the day after, the days after, the weeks after. There was this moment in time where I think most Americans felt a sense of, of unity, uh, of togetherness. Um, but now I would say the country, I, well, let me put it this way. I would say the country has never been as divided as it is now, except there was that whole Civil War thing back in the 18, you know. So probably they, they had us beat back then. Um, but it's something we want, which gets to the point, in our country, unity is something we experience in flashes, beautiful flashes, but, but short ones. But maybe, even in those moments where there is this sense of connectedness, uh, maybe those short moments point to something greater, point to something eternal, perhaps. This past week, it was interesting, so this is the way things work now. Um, if you're on the internet, if you get on Reddit or, or Dig or something like that, you'll see a story, and then maybe the next day you'll see it on the nightly news, right? I mean, the, the nightly news just kind of picks stuff off. Off, uh, off the internet now. So, so this week, what I saw first on the internet uh, was this story, and then I heard Lester Holt talking about it on the nightly news later. Um, and it was, I don't know if you caught this one, uh, the family who was having the, the peaceful day at the beach, and they got out in the water to play, and then they began to get drawn out by a, a, by a, a rip currents that was that was pulling them out away from the shore and they could not get back and the story was tragedy averted because on the beach complete strangers I mean I'm, they weren't all strangers but different groups began to form a human chain did you guys see the story um, they were holding hands right um, from the beach and, and more and more people gathered onto this chain reaching out into the currents um, but holding on to each other's hands 80 people, something like 80 people and they got all the way out to these nine folks including grandparents that were out there drifting further and further out to sea and, and those people um, were saved by that a flash of unity of people working together for a higher purpose uh, more than just getting a tan and having a relaxing day at the beach. And I think there is power, incredible power. Maybe you could say unfathomable power uh, when human beings unite and work together for a common purpose. My favorite president, Harry S. Truman, 
once said, it's amazing what you can accomplish, you've heard this one, if you don't care who gets the credit. It's amazing what we can accomplish when we don't care about our own personal agendas, who gets the credit. But flashes, you know, back to that, in our nation, in our offices, in our homes, um, sometimes that's all we get, it just flashes. These moments, well, oh, that was amazing. 80 complete strangers, just think about that, 80 complete strangers holding hands and reaching out to that trapped group. That's a flash of unity, that's people working together for a higher purpose. Well, it kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit this morning, if you were here, how the enemy, a lot of different strategies and things he's up to in the world, but one of them is certainly, since the beginning of time, bringing enmity, bringing discord into relationships between Adam and and Eve and pretty much between every group of people since and between people and God. And we see that dysfunction. Obviously, you don't need to belabor this. I mean, we see it at work in our government. We see it at work in... uh, all kinds, and not just national government, but any kind of government. See it at work and in the places that we do our work and our families, on our sports teams, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so he works hard to sow discord because I think, at least part of it, I think, is the enemy realizes the potential, right? Um, what could happen if people begin working together in community? And he also understands that when we experience true unity, we are participating in the divine nature in a very real way. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have existed forever in a complete unity, in a 100% total unity, three-in-one kind of unity. And by the way, I think that's the main... I, I may be wrong on this, but I think, it's, I think it's the main reason that the Trinity is maybe the most difficult theological concept to understand. I mean, I have people all the time, how do I explain this to my friend speak reader? How do I, and I'm honestly, give some ideas, but I'm thinking, good luck. It's a hard one. Three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one. It's a hard one. And I think it is so hard for us to understand because to our fallen minds, that kind of complete unity, it, and that can't happen. You know, it's just difficult to understand. That's a, that, we understand it by faith, I think. And so tonight, I'm launching us into this series, and we're going to source it from Ephesians chapter 4. We'll probably go to some other places as well. Um, but it's a chapter that helps us move from the ideal, I think, this universal want, and move it into the real. Um, it takes this lofty ideal of unity, and it translates it into life, into our world. Um, now, I'll just start out with three reasons I think this study is useful uh, to us here at Preston Crest. It would be useful to any church, I think. And the first one would be pull, to say it would be pull. And that is that when the church experiences unity and fellowship, it pulls, it attracts people to the Savior. It attracts people to Christ. Uh, just think of the impression that would be made on our city if we, a church like Preston Crest that has some diversity, that has some differences, um, if we are walking in, in an unbroken fellowship with each other, I mean, Jesus certainly imagined that power when he said in John chapter 13, 35, they will know, they will know you by your love. They will know you by that. That is the distinguishing characteristic 
of the church more than anything else. And I'm not suggesting that everyone, you know, as soon as they see our unity is going to break down the doors to jump into the baptistry and become a disciple of Jesus. I'm not saying that. But clearly there is a powerful witness to a world full of discord and angst and ambition and, and hostility. A powerful witness in that world when they see a loving, muscular unity uh, that they don't see anywhere else. So pull. The harmony of believers, of sisters and brothers, despite their diversity, the harmony of that, that draws people to Jesus. Um, the second thing would be potential. I already kind of scratched at the surface of this one. There are great things that we can only accomplish together, that we can't accomplish as individuals. Um, and that only happens if, if we have this strong fellowship with Christ and this strong fellowship together in Christ. And then third, I would say praise. Um, the name of the Lord is lifted up. He's honored. He's exalted uh, when we reflect his nature. As the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are in this fellowship together, we are called into that fellowship, um, that perfect fellowship, and we bring honor to him when we imitate our Father. We imitate God. But we struggle. Every church struggles, right? We struggle to keep the peace. We struggle to hold on to unity. And I've told this story before, so if you've heard it, bear with me. I've, it's, I like it. <laughs> it's a story of a young rabbi who begins to serve at his new congregation. And just right off the bat, there's, there's a major issue, all right? The church is kind of getting divided here. Because during the Shabbat services, the Sabbath day services, Half of the church would stand for prayers, and half of the church would sit for prayers. And each group thought what they, were, they were doing it the right way. The other group was doing it the wrong way. And they fought over which was the, which was the true tradition of their congregation. And the young rabbi tried all sorts of things to bring people together, but nothing he said, nothing he did seemed to work to resolve the conflict. They were really entrenched in these positions. And so in desperation, finally, he sought the wise counsel of the previous rabbi, who was now 99 years old, the founder of that congregation. And he went to this aged rabbi's uh, nursing home, and he poured out his troubles... And so he concluded by saying, so tell me, was it the tradition of the congregation to stand during the prayers or to sit during the prayers? The rabbi just thought about it. And the young man thought, well, maybe I can prompt his memory. So did they stand during the prayers? I don't remember, the rabbi said. Aha, then they sat during the prayers. Hmm, I can't remember that either, said the rabbi. And so, well, the young rabbi expand, responded in complete exasperation. He said, we've got total chaos in the church. Half of the people are, are sitting and upset, and half the people are standing and wagging their fingers at the others. It's total chaos. 
spark of recognition. Ah, the older rabbi said, that was the tradition. (laughs) I remember that. And I think we can, like uh, any community of faith, you, you, do, you do life together, really. You're more than just visitors that show up and listen to a sermon or whatever. When you do life together, you can identify with that story. Um, you've seen that play out, different dynamics, and that, maybe not sitting and standing, but we've divided over just about everything in Churches of Christ. I mean, from kitchens to, I mean, you name it, really. Shape notes or round notes. Um, and so whenever a diverse group of people comes together and attempts to go deeper, attempts to do life together, to move toward intimacy together, you're bound to have conflict, whether it's a synagogue or whether it's a church. Once a congregation grows to have a membership of more than one, conflict is inevitable. We've got differences because of different age groups. Um, older, I don't know if you've noticed this, you can read up on this, but older generations tend to think differently than younger generations. I'm not just saying have different ideas, but actually think differently, reason differently. More deductive reasoning versus younger generations that are more inductive reasoning, but I'm not going to expound on that more. You can look that up. We've got political differences. We've got people in this room who vote Republican, people in this room who vote Democrat, uh, and politics is becoming such a polarizing thing, more than ever maybe except for the Civil War, perhaps. Um, we have different life experiences, you know, ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, and educational backgrounds, and all of that stuff. A lot of differences. And so we get to, we get to that book of Ephesus. The city was something like our own. You could do some comparisons there. But the church, uh, for our interests... Had, had a lot of tension, a lot of tension, a lot of struggles with unity. Um, and part of that is because the church in Ephesus was a synagogue and a church. Think about that. It was a synagogue and a church at the same time. A big demographic of the church of Christ in Ephesus was Jewish. They were Jewish Christians. They didn't stop being Jews when they were baptized into Christ. They were Jewish Christians. Um, They had been going to synagogue since they were knee-high to a grasshopper. They knew the Torah. They knew the Tanakh. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They believed deeply in the traditions that were passed on from their great-grandparents to their grandparents to their parents to them. Um, That stuff really mattered. That was their lineage. Uh, Sabbath observance mattered to them. Uh, Observing dietary rules of the Old Testament mattered to them. Um, Circumcision of baby boys mattered to them. On a scale of 1 to 10, these kind of things we're going to measure a 9 or a 10. Pretty sacred stuff. Pretty important stuff. And they believed in Yeshua. They believed in Jesus. Yeshua Mashiach, the promised anointed one from God who would come and deliver Israel, uh, promised in dozens of prophecies in their Bible in the Tanakh. Jesus was the hope of Israel. By, by the way, maybe it helps us to understand too, they didn't have a New Testament, okay? At church, they had the, the Bible was the Old Testament. And then you had some of these letters 
floating around from Paul and Peter and these guys. So maybe that helps us also to understand why. No, that's the Bible. Those are those sacred texts. So they were pretty committed to it. But they were committed to Jesus. He was the Messiah. But that wasn't the only group. That's the thing here, right? A synagogue and a church. That wasn't the only group there in the church in Ephesus. Uh, There was also a large group and a growing group of Gentile believers. Um, These converts to Jesus had zero Jewish roots. They didn't know anything about the Hebrew Bible. They didn't know anything about Jew. I mean, they were learning this stuff on the fly. They were learning Jewish history on the fly. Um, They believed in Jesus. He was their salvation. He was their hope. That was their commitment. So do you think these two groups had trouble maybe getting along? (laughs) Yeah, there were issues. There were lots of issues. And frankly, the impression you get from certain parts of of the book of Ephesians is that these two groups maybe were kind of looking out of the corner of their eyes at each other and thinking, this doesn't make any sense. Why did God put us together? What was God thinking on this? Um, Things would be so much easier if we had our church and they had their church. And you think some of them thought, maybe, I don't know, but you think some of them thought, maybe even discussed amongst their own circles, wouldn't it just be simpler if we had a Jewish church of Christ and then a Gentile church of Christ? Everyone would, it'd just make things a lot easier. And the problem was, for them, problem or the solution, those two things get cloudy sometimes, which is which. (laughs) The problem was, That was not a decision they were able to make because God had made that decision for them. And Paul is going to talk about that a lot in the book of Ephesians. In one place, he tells them in chapter 3, verse (laughs) 6, he says, the mystery, I love that mystery. We've got to have room for mystery in our faith. If you think you've got it all figured out, that's not New Testament Christianity. There's mystery, okay? Paul says, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together, 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 sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery, I love that, God took these Two groups of people who were very different, um, very different, and put them together like yeast in dough. Put them together, kneaded it all together to experience life together. And that was his plan. And yeah, it's a mystery. I guarantee you, the church is in Ephesus is nodding their heads. That's a mystery. Haven't got that figured out why he did that. And so their differences, Paul is, going to, or, yeah, Paul is going to tell them, their differences could become walls of division or they could become these, these fibers that would be knitted together uh, to create a very strong and vibrant and diverse congregation. So what I want to do, we're going to close out here, and what I wanted to do was just do a few excerpts. We won't read the whole chapter, but I just wanted to give you kind of a flyover 
of Ephesians chapter 4 and just let you see with this backdrop we've, we've painted here some of the things Paul is going to talk about, and we'll dive into these over the coming weeks. So I'll just start out with uh, verses 2 and 3. Verse 2, Always be gentle, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I like that. Verse 3. And I like this one because this is a spirit thing. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort. Important phrase there. Verse 4. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, there is one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. He's talking to this church with these two groups. And then he goes on, verse 11, we'll skip down there. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 16. He, Christ, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And then we'll finish out in verses 31 and 32, kind of dealing with some of the, the sources of discord here. Get, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. Get rid of all of that, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now that's beautiful. It's also a tall order. But there's a lot of hope when you hear that this is the work Christ does in us. This is the work the Spirit does in us. We are making every effort 
to keep the unity that the Spirit has given us. We're not manufacturing something on our own. And so that gives me hope. Let's pray together. We're going to finish just with this prayer, and then I'll turn it over to you, John Scott. Lord, we come to you with humble hearts. And we ask you through your Holy Spirit, we invite you through your Holy Spirit over the coming weeks, take us deeper into fellowship with you and with each other. Show us and teach us how this works, how we are to do life together, building each other up, even with our differences, even with our diversity. Mold us into the people you have called us to be in Christ. Use us, Father, as a human chain, holding on to each other, united and strong, reaching out into our mission field here in Dallas to help those who are lost and drowning in sin to move into the safe harbor of your love. Holy Spirit, help us to to keep the unity that you've given us, to be tenderhearted and kind, and to make every effort, to make every effort to keep this fellowship that you've given us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's be standing and let's sing together.